Hi everyone, it's Paula Diana and this is Unleashed, the Game Changers. Today we are talking about finance because our guest is one of the most powerful women in the world in the finance industry. She's the head of global service clients at BlackRock, the biggest asset manager in the world. Thank you, Melanie, to be here with us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. <laughs> I know you're super busy, so it's really, really important for me that you found time to speak with me and to share with the, our audience uh, your story and your career, because I know it's very inspiring. And you are a truly game changer. So that's why I really want you to speak with us and let us know what does it mean to have the courage to change your life completely in order to pursue your career and your dreams. Thank you so much and thank you for those kind words, which I'm sure I don't deserve. No, you but deserve. <laughs> but no, it, as you know, I think I have a real purpose to make sure that I share my story and I'm really authentic. I think one of the things that I notice, especially in our industry, is are there enough real true role models for the next generation? Because yes. are people really honest about their journey? Are they honest about their struggles? Not at all. Because I think when I look at some of the senior, and not just women, senior people, it can sometimes feel daunting. You look at those people and you think you know their story. And if I was in my 20s, I would probably look there and think, could I do that? Would I want to do that? How do you do that? So I think we all have that big responsibility to be very authentic about what it's really like to have a family, to be a senior woman in a finance industry and to do something that's different and to be brave enough to make those changes. Of course, because it must be very challenging. But let's start from the beginning. I really want to understand, you know, what did you study, which kind of child you were, so which were your role models. T tell us a little bit more about your beginnings. So I do not have the normal finance background. I didn't grow up in finance. Okay. I actually grew up on a farm. Oh, in a farm. <laughs> yeah, I so love that. I grew up on a farm. My parents were farmers, are still farmers. My dad is now 82 this year. Wow. Um, he pretends he's retired, but I don't think he'll ever retire. And I have a sister. And we really grew up in this gender neutral environment because most of my dad's friends had sons and there was no you didn't get any let off because you was a girl there were things to do on the farm whether that was throwing bales of hay or mucking out stables or driving tractors you had jobs to do and you did them and yeah. no one ever thought a girl can't do that or that's just for the boys so we did all the things that the boys did this is and how it should be yeah. you know for everyone and never felt any different really or didn't feel that that was strange so i think we both grew up having this belief that we could do anything that there was nothing out of our reach in terms of I love ability. it. And this is what you did growing up. Yeah. You did everything. <laughs> so I so I grew up on a farm and I rode horses from a very young age. So I competed from when I was about five and always loved riding. But I was also quite good at school and I passed my 11 plus. I went to a grammar school and my real subjects were maths and science. So what I decided at a very early age and 
just to caveat all of this, I'm a complete control freak perfectionist. So I'd worked out. I hear you. <laughs> from a very early age, I was going to be a vet. Oh, okay. Because obviously growing up around animals, etc., but also loving science and maths. It was right. This is the great combination. I can be a vet. So at school, I did all my exams to be a vet. But as I was looking to go to university, I got a phone call to ask if I would be interested in going to Canada for a year to show jump. So you're coming up for 19. You've got this opportunity to go and live the other side of the yeah. world. And to be honest, I'd never really traveled. So Canada was a completely a other dream. world. Yeah. Um, so to the disappointment of everybody, I think, I chose to go to Canada. And I had the best time. Because I think, one, it changed me as a person because it was really hard. I can remember, and this was 35 years ago, so there wasn't mobile phones. Phoning the UK from Canada yeah, was, was not direct word. dial. So I remember that first phone call I made from home and I was sobbing because I was so homesick. Aww. Because I'd never been really away from my family, my friends, and this was a million miles away. But that yeah. again built that level of, of self-assurance, self-confidence, and needing to be self-motivated. Because you were outside your comfort zone and this is where you grow. Exactly, because it wasn't, this was a completely new environment. And after that, what did you do? So, love that. Really thought, this is going to be my career now. I'm going to be a professional show jumper. But when I came back, I had to come back. And my dad asked me if I would just stay and get a job. So, no career choice here, by the way. This was just, okay, I'll get a job for a year, but I'll probably go back to Canada. Mm. So, I got a job in a bond house, valuing bonds. And... With no university degree? No university okay. degree. But again, I think it was easier 35 years yeah, ago yeah. to... Um, and I think I came back with... And we see that now when I'm looking to employ people. I had a story. Sure. I wasn't just a kid out of school or out of university that was... I'd done something different. So I think I was interesting to talk to. So I went to this company and I was valuing bonds. But there was no computers. It was all very manual. You worked things out with a calculator and a pen and a piece of paper. And they taught you everything. You, you went there yeah. without knowing without anything. Without knowing anything. I didn't even know what a bond was. I love it. <laughs> However, I think one of the things that I've always had, and is probably a nature versus nurture thing, is I've never accepted what anybody's told me. So I was always the annoying child that said, but why, but why, but why? Yeah, the rebel one. Yes. In a so, good way. I love rebels. <laughs> so when I was started this job, I was asking lots of questions about, wouldn't it be easier if we did this? Why shouldn't we look at this? And couldn't we do that? So when the company started thinking about computerizing, I got asked to go and join the project. And I'm sure it was because I was the person that asked all those questions. For sure. So yeah. I got put on a project to go and be in technology and build our technology strategy for the company before there was a technology industry. And that's probably what made me decide that, sure, well, I quite like this work thing because I can really make a difference. And just by being me, sure. I can do these things. 
So I went on this project and we computerized my department and then extended that beyond my department and the rest of the company. But during that process, I realized that actually I'm an entrepreneur because what I saw was this big gap in the market because the technology industry was taking off. But what was missing was somebody to really translate what the business was asking for into what technology would build because yeah. they spoke different languages. Yeah. So what did you do? So I set up my own business and I left the company. And again, I was earning a very decent salary for my age. Sure. I was in a very stable company and I made this decision to go and do something on my own. And it's risky. Like, and let's it's risky. say that. When yeah. you start your own business, it's risky. Yeah, no. and I gave up a salary. I yeah. gave up and I started this business. And How old were you? So at the time, I was probably 24, 25. That's great. So you were young. And I can remember the first company I went to was a big, well-known insurance company. And I went into this first meeting and here I am, and it's all these very senior people and the CEO of this business. And unfortunately, I can't help myself. So everyone was talking and I'm having an opinion on everything because I'm very opinionated. And at the end, the CEO, who's this 60-year-old white man in a grey suit, says, could you stay behind? And in my head, it was like, this is where he says, who do you think you are coming in here telling us mm. what... And everyone left her and he went, okay, start from the beginning because all those things you said, I have no idea that we should do those. So you have to help me. And that was one of those turning points of, because before I had this sort of lack of confidence that I only was as good as I was in my company because I'd grown up in that company. Sure, yeah. And I knew everybody and I knew who to get. So to go out on my own, that really gave me a boost. It was a real challenge. It was a real challenge, yeah. but it proved. So I did that for quite a while. And within that time, I got married. I was pregnant with my first son. And back to, I'm a control freak perfectionist. If I'm gonna have a child, I'm gonna be the perfect mother. So I can't possibly work That's and really have a child. That's really dangerous. I know exactly what you say. That's really dangerous. Unfortunately, yeah. I learned very quickly that being a control freak and having a child do not match. Yeah, no. Because <laughs> my first child challenged my control freakness. He didn't sleep, he didn't eat, he needed constant stimulation. So, and at the same time, there was this thing going on in the industry called Year 2000. Yeah. Where, so it was 1997, everyone believed that when the clock switched to the year 2000, the world would stop because computers wouldn't work. And I got a call from the first company I'd worked at to say, would you come and run this year 2000 program? Incredible. People were really believing They that. really believed. They honestly mm -hmm. believed that the world would stop. There was task forces around the world recreating Incredible. Armageddon, that planes will fall from the skies, electricity will stop. Were you afraid of that or not? No, because I'm very logical. Yeah. And so logic told me that that couldn't possibly yeah. happen. So fortunately, my mum looked after my son and I went back to work, but was very clear on, I know how much I want to work and I still want to be around for my son. So I went into this with not strong negotiation, but just very clear guidelines of if I come and do this, 
these are the hours I want to work, this yeah. is how much I want to be with my son. Because to me, it was really important. Flexibility that, yeah, is the key. I still had that time with him. I understand completely. I did the same when I had my kids. Being your own boss, having your own business in some kind, even if it's contracting, does give you more of that flexibility than Yes, not. absolutely. Yeah. And then in complete control freak style, my second son was born on the 18th of December 1999. So we had two weeks before the world ended. It'll be fine. Um, obviously, nothing happened. And then I was definitely, definitely not working because I've got two children now. Yeah, two children my husband, makes such a yeah. difference compared to one. Exactly. Yeah. Um, my husband was a very successful mortgage broker, so it wasn't a financial need in any way. And then in the January, my husband came home and said, I think we should start a business. He was a mortgage broker. The mortgage industry was going completely mad and he could see that there was this big, gap in the market and if I think I'm an entrepreneur he's a total entrepreneur he is we always say he's unemployable because he's never been employed he's only ever been his own boss and he is a great ideas man and very forward-thinking yeah this so is his nature I understand yeah. completely you need to have the nature of an entrepreneur exactly if not uh, you will never assist. so he had this idea that the mortgage industry was going to need companies to actually help them deal with the volumes they were getting yeah so he set up, or we set up a company that processed the mortgages for most of the UK lenders. And nice. we ended up growing that to a really big 20 million pound turnover company, two locations, 250 staff. Well done. And it was I incredible. Didn't know about that. Oh. Really, really successful company. He did an incredible job. He was a very big name in the industry. He's a great motorbike rider. He loves motorbike racing so one of the things we did was sponsor British superbikes and Yamaha um, so my boys grew up between farms and motorbike pits it's which was bad. great, <laughs> it was great. Um, the bad part of this whole story is Lehman's was one of our biggest clients oh my god and we lost everything in the crash everything yeah so we 2008 came, yeah and we came that close to losing our house but there was this big part of me that. I couldn't lose my house. That whilst I, I knew our lives were going to change, the boys were 10 and eight, I knew their lives were going to be completely different. I knew that our lifestyle would have to be completely different. But to me, our house was our stability. And if I could keep our house, somehow that would be the stability of our family. So, so what did you do? I went and got a job. And again, no career choice here. This was, I know how much money I have to earn to save our house. I know that I have to be flexible. I can't have this massive job. And I was offered a job to go and be really a relationship manager for a management consultancy whose biggest client was threatening to not renew. So my job was just to go and help that client renew. Yeah. And so I went, I did that. And it was with not connected with finance at all? It was it pensions was. related. Okay. So it pensions. was, again, okay. it was using some of that background I'd mm. had. And the business we had was mortgages, so it had that finance. So I've always had that finance thread yeah, sure. through everything. And we, as I was working with the clients and understanding their problems, what I went to my boss with was, this is the 10 things we need to do to save this client. 
However, it's bigger than that because this isn't just about this one client. This is there's a problem with the operating model more broadly. So that needs to be fixed for this really to so happen. So you need to change. So you, you need to that. change. Okay. <laughs> um, so what started off as this small job looking at one client ended up being this change and transformation role to really think about the operating model in Europe for this company. And so I went and I did that. Part of that was looking at an operation they had in Poland. Really enjoyed it and always had real loyalty to that company because they'd given me that break when I needed it. But at the time, there was a merger happening with another company. And one of the things I think happens when you have your own business is you can grow really strong business principles because you can yeah. have your own ideas of who you work with, who you work for, Absolutely. who your clients yeah. are. And if you decide that person doesn't work for me, you just say no. Yeah. You're free to say you're no. You're free to that say is, no. Uh, and you're free to build that sense of principal purpose within your company, within yourself. And I knew the other company coming in had very different business principles. And I feel I would struggle with working within that environment. And at the same time, I was being headhunted by BlackRock. That's who, great news. So yeah. you were headhunted by them. And they were, this is 10 years ago, where they were a lot smaller in Europe than they are now. And I didn't really know who they were. Wow. I knew they were a big company. I knew they were American. I knew they were an asset manager. And I joined them to do a strategic review of a business. They had a pensions business. Yeah. And I did that strategic review. And my recommendation was we should sell that business because it wasn't core to our main business it needed a lot of investment yeah. and it needed real focus and I just didn't think we was going to do that what I got told was we don't sell businesses we only buy them <laughs> so go and run that business and turn it around huh? so I did I ran that business for five years and then I sold it and that resilience of never giving up on my view is we shouldn't have this business we should sell it and at the end, they listen to you. And at the end, and I think there was a 50-50 here in five years earlier, it was the wrong time to sell that business. Okay. What we did in those five years turned it into a different business and the market was very different. So selling it at that point was definitely the right decision, which it probably wouldn't have been the right decision five years earlier. No, interesting. Um, but I didn't let that go. I continued to look at how we could make that happen. So we sold the business. I didn't really want to leave with the business, but I didn't have a job because I'd sold my business. All my people went to the new company with the business. And but what at, happened? At the time, we were also, I was also on a project. And again, this is something that has never changed with me. I always stick my nose in probably where it's not wanted. And I think, again, it comes from that being an entrepreneur and having your own business, sure. you become a really incredible employee because you have to work like it's your own business. But it is great. I yeah, wish you I had uh, you know, yeah. all employees like this, seriously. Because you can't, you don't know anything different. Yeah. So you can't just be blinkered of, yeah. that's not my problem. Or So you do look left and right and you do see things that happen. And think, 
hang on a minute, maybe I should go and mention that or talk yeah. about this. And so one of the projects that I put my nose into was looking at our location strategy and this idea of should we open a new office. And this and is where Hungary comes <laughs> in, exactly. right? Okay. So I got asked, so the decision was made, we was going to open an office in Budapest and I got asked if I would be interested in going and opening that office. I had been to Hungary three times, all as part of the due diligence of the country. I knew that for me to go and do that would mean that I would have to go on my own yeah. because my second son had just started his A-levels. So it was totally wrong timing to expect him to move to a new country, a new location. Yeah. And I made the decision that, well, as a family, we made the decision that this was a great opportunity and somehow we would make it work. Absolutely. So your husband supported so you my in husband this was change. supportive. But a... I think it was one of the questions I often get asked is about how you manage having a family. And yeah, I was going to ask. <laughs> and what I always describe it as is juggling. And it doesn't matter if you're male, female. Once you have to have something that you have responsibility for outside of yourself and work, you have to start juggling. Yeah. So if you get a pet, if you have parents you have to be more responsible for, you have to start juggling. And I always say, I probably got 57 balls I'm juggling at any one time. And I'm really not that great a juggler. <laughs> so what I've learned, and I've learned it by dropping those balls many times, is you can't juggle 57 balls. So you have to make conscious decisions to put some of those balls down. Yeah, you need to have priorities. Yeah, and sometimes that's work balls. And sometimes you have to say, at this particular moment, work has to take a back seat because my family becomes more yeah, important. Sure. And other times, and this was a great example where it was, this is really important to me. And not that my family will take a total back seat, but I'm going to prioritize work more in this way. And I'm going to juggle those balls more. So I went to Hungary. I arrived in Budapest on the 3rd of January, 2017 with a laptop. I had nowhere to live. We had no office and my remit was to go and build something fast, big and different. Wow, fast, big and different. And I had <laughs> and no idea how to do that. You nailed it completely, Melanie. And I now, know. so three years on, we now have 720 people. We have an office that wow. is very different, not just for BlackRock, but also for it's Hungary. It's amazing. T to tell us more about your office, I saw it. And, uh, so I we... We built the office and I think one of the things I learned through this whole process was the power of physical space. And I've always been a big advocate of diversity and inclusion. Yes. And I think that comes from having my own business, we had a really diverse workforce. But not because we had a diversity policy, just because my view, my husband's view was, you just hire the best person for the job. Yeah. You don't really care about their background. You don't care about their gender. It's just who's the right person to do this job. And because we grew up as a family business, it was always a very inclusive environment. Everybody had an opinion. Everyone had a voice. And that's what I wanted to ensure we built in Budapest. And I always talked about it as taking what we do at BlackRock and putting it on steroids. 
because we do have really strong diversity and inclusion programs, but I had this opportunity to really put that on steroids in a different environment. And there's a way I talk about diversity and inclusion in that diversity is being invited to the party, inclusion is being asked to dance. <laughs> I like that. Because <laughs> it's really easy to invite lots of people to the yeah. party. It's easy yeah. to build a diverse workforce. But if it's not inclusive once they're there, it's it a waste of time. It means nothing, it's true. So one of the things I wanted to do was ensure we had an inclusive environment. And you hired mainly young people, right? Yeah, I mean, again, we, there were two really different hiring techniques we did. Mm -hmm. One was we wanted to hire people more for behaviours than skills. Okay. So we were looking for people that were curious, were brave, were open. Game changers. Were game changers, <laughs> yeah. Geeky. We wanted people that would come and challenge us. We didn't want people that would come with a preconceived idea of how things should be done. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so we've got nearly 50% of the people in the office have no financial services background. This is incredible, and Melanie. I didn't know. I thought uh, you can go to no. BlackRock only with a no. financial background. So we've background. got people that have come from arts, hospitality. Wow. We've got humanities majors. We've got people with no degrees at all. Because this was an opportunity to really build an office where innovation is at the core. Sure. Where this is about game changing. And that does bring an overhead because it does mean people obviously can't work for a company like ours and know nothing about finance. Sure, but then so they have to be them. on a training curve. Yeah, so you have a training program. But my belief has always been if you get people with the right mindset, the right behaviours, the rest of it is just stuff. Yeah. And if people have an ability and desire to learn, they, they will learn, learn that. Yeah, absolutely. And I've continue, continuously learned throughout my career. I haven't sat at 25, 30 and of said, course. I'm done. Yeah, of at course. At 53, I'm not done. I've still got lots and lots and lots to learn. We have to and keep learning we until we die. We have to learning. This is That's what keeps life. us young and excited. Yeah. So that was one. Another element was one of the things I personally wanted to do by taking this role was how can I personally have an impact outside of my, my job? Yeah. Because I have a belief that you get to a point in your career where it's important you use your platform wisely. So having a BlackRock business card that says managing director and you're head of BlackRock Budapest gives you a certain amount of power. Sure. What you can do with that is you can use it to really help yourself and you can do, you can get a bigger title, a bigger salary, a bigger ego. Or you can think, how do I really use that to help more people? And how do I use that to have the broadest impact? And one of the things when I talked to my friends, my Hungarian friends in the UK and Hungarians I met through this journey, one of the things that came through so strongly was for Hungarians, Hungary is always home. Of course. And wherever they live in the world, there's this desire that at some point I want to go home. But their view was, I don't know that I will get the same opportunities or have the ability to build the same career there that I would in London, New York, yeah. etc. 
So I had this idea, again, I can't help but be an entrepreneur brain. If we build the right environment, we should be able to attract Hungarians back to Hungary. Wow. And this and, was your strategy. And so that was one of our strategies. Yeah. And we've now created this whole movement, really. So we started with one event with the Hungarian Embassy in London. We ended up with about 150 Hungarians came to this event. We now have 12% of our staff in Hungary are Hungarians that have come back. And this is now an initiative that happens across industry in Hungary. And Interesting. it's really helped Hungary. You were supported by the government uh, in this or no? No, I mean, not financially supported. The government obviously feel very strongly about this as a great initiative because like any country, they want to sure. retain their talent. They want to attract talent back. Of course. And I think Italy should do the same. Yeah, and it was a really great initiative that became, again, a game changer in mindsets of Hungarians seeing that there is this opportunity. And we now run these events in New York, in Frankfurt, in London, um, and they will continue without me. That's so it's great. a legacy I've left. Of course. And I know they love you in Hungary, and I know you will receive uh, soon an award, right? So I've been nominated for Expat CEO of the Year in Hungary. Well done. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Well, let's I see if I win it. I hope you will win it. I hope, um, yes. <laughs> it will be the case. And even without, like now, I've now properly relocated back to London, which is great. Um, but it's, Hungary will still be, always be in my heart. Of course. And I will always continue to try to support Hungary in some way, because I do feel a little bit Hungarian now. Oh, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Thank you. And tell me more about what you do for diversity in finance, uh, because I know you are a strong feminist, as I am, mm -hmm. and I know this is something that is very important for you. So when I, when I came back into corporate world and realized that corporate world probably wasn't as diverse as my company was, I looked at how I could help. Again, I can't help but get involved. And I joined an organization called Women in Banking and Finance and got very heavily involved and ended up being vice president of that organization. And over the past sort of 10 years since I've been involved, we've really helped other big financial companies or the big financial companies in the city really rethink their diversity agendas and how they can really start to drive not just tick box exercises, but again, that but proper real, inclusion. Real change. Real change. Um, and it's not always easy. It's, it's still harder to deal with a diverse team than it is a team of people that all think the same. What do they tell you when it's not easy? What do they tell you? Well, oh, there's lots of, I mean, you hear lots of, we can't find, there are no women to do we looked but there are no women i know i know look better you yeah, tell them exactly <laughs> look more carefully yeah look more carefully um do you have a database of women they could hire yeah so we now do a lot of that support we have a jobs board um, i'm now on the advisory board of women in banking and finance because i stepped down when i went to hungary but you are seeing you're seeing the narrative changing 10 years ago the narrative was more about 
it being the right thing to do. It's now a lot more about the business results. Sure. And it's not just the right thing to do. Because it's good for the it's company itself. It's good for the company. It's good for the bottom line. And mm -hmm. investors, clients are asking for that diversity. They want that level of... That's interesting. So you saw a change during the, the past 10 years. Yes. That not fast enough. Yeah, of course. Um, so we can't change. But one of the things that gives me real hope is my children. So I've got two boys that are 22 and 20. And they're both now in the process of one's in uni at university in Sweden, one's in university in Budapest. They've obviously grown up in a very diverse world. My dad's a farmer. I work in finance. My, their dad's an entrepreneur. Yeah, and they have a mother who's a real role model yeah. because you're a working and mother. When they started looking at companies they would want to work for, they have a very different way of judging where they want to work than I think our generation did. In money becomes a lot less of a driver. Sure. It's about what is the purpose of that company? What are they doing? What are their thoughts on things like sustainability, diversity? And also, what does this feel like as a company? So when I was working really hard on diversity, the boys used to be, but why do you do this? Like what? And I'd get really worried of like, oh no, they've got no idea. I brought up two boys, I have no interest. But what they were actually saying was, but if you look at our friends group, our friends groups are really diverse. We for, have- For them it's normal. Yeah, we have yeah. girls as friends. We have all nationalities mm. as friends. We have all sexualities as friends. So if we went to a company that didn't look and feel like our friends group, we wouldn't work there. So I do have this hope that yeah. this isn't going to be as slow a burn as it has been. And as the next generation start taking on more leadership roles and having more of an influence, we will see that step change happening. I really hope that is true, yeah. Because seriously, if we think about the different industries, finance is still really male dominated, especially at the top. Yeah. I know BlackRock is doing quite well compared yeah. to other companies. But I do, yeah, I do agree. And it is, I think it does go back to how we think about the industry at a younger age. So when you look at what girls study at school, sure. what it's, do they already start with a view that finance is for boys yeah, and maths is more boys related? Right, and, yeah. and it goes back to my earlier point on role models. If they can't see strong role models in those top jobs, they will only look and think, this isn't for me. Yeah. So we've got to help girls start thinking about it early on. And also, I think the other is, how do we get girls to start or women to start thinking about it as a second career coming back in yeah. do what I as did as it was for you yeah. yeah it doesn't have to be the thing that your career doesn't have to be linear and I think especially again today probably more than when I started people don't have those linear careers yeah. you don't start in a company and work your way up you do have this more breadth before you get depth mm. and when I'm mentoring, one of the analogies I always use is a backpack. And I talk about building this metaphorical backpack where 
through your school, your career, whatever you do, start building a backpack and put in that backpack skills, experiences, people. I really like this metaphor. Because at some point, you will need to pull those out. And as I look back on my career and all the things I've done, if all I had in my backpack was a hammer, yeah. I would have had no hope. <laughs> I needed to pull out all of those different things that came from yeah. competing at an early age in sports, from growing up on a farm, yeah. to having my own business. They all gave me things yeah. that I could utilize later on. I never knew I would need, but consciously thinking about them now as that Now you know that. Now I know that I needed you them. You are made by all these things. Yeah. And also by your failures, right? Because totally. You learn by your failures yeah. as well. I mean, we look back now as a family and really think of that time with the business failing and losing nearly everything as actually a great experience for us all. But you didn't lose hope, right? Never, ever. Never did I. Yeah, I did lay down and cry many times. Yeah. There were days where I thought, I can't do this. This is going to just implode. But there was something inside me that was, I will never give up. Whilst I can breathe, I, like I will not give up. And the, the tool I think I pulled out for that goes back to a really young age from riding. And I can remember a time when I was seven or eight, I got bought a pony that was probably too big and too good for me. And the first time I rode it, I got thrown off 10 times. Ten each times. time worse. Each time I had another rip in my jodhpurs and more mud on my face. And, but every time my dad said, get up, get back on. I and like every that. time I did, and eventually yeah. I rode that pony. And I think that ability to just pick yourself up, dust yourself down, get back on the horse, however ripped your jodhpurs are, however much you're crying, is such a great skill. And we all need that because we're formed yeah. so much more by our failures than our successes. Absolutely. And if we go through life with only this gilded path and nothing ever happens, I don't think that helps you become a strong, especially a leader, yeah. because you don't have those experiences to pull on. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't think they exist, this kind of, you know, lives. Sometimes maybe people, they exactly. just want to show off that yeah. they have uh, all yeah, successes. Yeah, and I think and people still are nervous about being authentic, yeah, about being vulnerable. what it's really Sharing like, and being your, vulnerable. Yeah. And I think even senior people are nervous that if they stand up and say, I struggled with this, people think less of them. But we've proven it and we do it a lot. People actually think more of you because yeah. you become human. You yeah. become real. You're someone they relate to. I agree. I agree with you 100%. And it's not also don't having fear. Everyone has fears. Yeah. It's the way you deal with fear, you know. Yeah, it's if not letting really fear to, yeah. overcome you. Yeah. I was terrified when I went yeah. to Hungary. I had no idea how I was going to build an office. Yeah, your first day, it was like, oh my God, what I'm doing here? Yeah, exactly. And it was like, if I'd have really thought through even six months ahead, I probably would have gone home. Because I didn't even know what I was going to do the next day. Like, so what do you do on day one? You're here on your own, you've got to build an office. What shall be my list of things today? Um, and eventually that became, I can now think about a week, I can think about a month, I can start doing a year plan. Yeah. 
but you can't let that fear of the unknown, being scared of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dominate just you. dominate you yeah. and stop you. Because if we didn't do things because we didn't know how to or we were scared of the outcome, we'd sit in our house and not go out. But this is what people who are afraid of changes do. They yeah. just stay there, you know, moaning and complaining and uh, being scared about life and everything. Yeah, people who don't change, they are just scared about change. Yeah. That's the point. But you shouldn't be scared about changing. No, because, because that's the beauty that's of life. That's what drives life. That's what, yeah. that's what makes the world go round is that continuous yeah. change and embracing it, not being afraid of it. And I think you also become a better human being in the process. Yeah, because you become, you become more aware. You become, I mean, I always believed I was quite culturally aware before yeah. I went to Hungary. So you had a good education. Yeah, uh, I knew things that not everybody sure. was the same mold. Yeah. And, but going and actually living and working in a completely different culture makes you so conscious of those cultural differences. Yeah. So going to Hungary, I read as many history books as I could. I learned the language. I tried to really... It's difficult. It's, it's a difficult language. It's the most difficult language yeah. in the whole world. <laughs> the most difficult language in the whole world. Well done, Melanie. Um, but it was... But what I learned from learning the language, you started to learn about Hungary. Yeah. And you learned... To, and reading the history, you learned about why Hungarians are like they are when you understand their history and what's happened to them as a country. And all of those things form you as a person and you become a lot more compassionate to difference. You, you embrace change. You, and if you only ever live in a sterile world, you will not be able to give back as much as you can by having those different experiences. 100%. Thank you for sharing. No, not at all. Because, Thank you. Because uh, it's very, very important uh, to have a woman like you, you know, at the top of a financial institution. It's a company you know, so big. It gives me hope as well, because I'm sure you can help other, yeah. you know, good people, men and women, uh, whatever, exactly. to run companies. And I will continue whilst I can breathe to help others. Because to, yeah. to me, that's important. That's what this part of my career is about, is... Give How back. do I give back? How do I help others? And my assistant goes mad because every time she sees someone say, has Melanie got half an hour to have a chat with me? Her eyes roll and she, you haven't got half an hour. I always have got half an hour. <laughs> you can always find time if you want to do it. It's, I always say, if you want something done, ask a busy person. I like Because they will always so find much. time. I like that so much. <laughs> no, thank you for sharing. Okay, now it's the time for the final five because I know you're very busy. And thank you so, so much. Um, let's fire up this final five question that I always ask to everyone. Okay. And uh, try to answer as fast as you can and, of course, uh, tell us the truth. Obviously. So what uh, a person would never know about you just by looking at you? That actually, I'm probably more introverted than extroverted. I think I know that, yeah. <laughs> but I know you. So what did you learn by your last relationship that I think is your present relationship? Yes, so I've been married for 24 years. So it's my relationship. Yeah. I think any long relationship teaches you to be, to compromise, teaches you to think of others first teaches you that and I think being in a relationship for a long time 
makes you realize what's important and what's not. I like that. And well done. 24 years are <laughs> a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Which is your spirit animal? Has to be a horse. Yeah, of course. If you were a superhero, which one would be your superpower? I'd love to read people's minds. I like that so much. <laughs> <laughs> and last one, what is the meaning of life? Leaving this world having made an impact and given back more than you've received. That's very important. And you're definitely doing that. I'm trying my best. Yeah, definitely. And I know you're also helping a lot of entrepreneurs because you did with a friend of mine as well. Yeah. Let's say that. Yeah. So well, as I said, I'm still an entrepreneur at heart. Yeah. So um, every time so I you see can. that. Yeah. So, so it's good yeah. because you want to make changes, big changes, but also small changes, right? Yeah. Everywhere you go. Exactly. You don't. Stop. I can't help myself. But I'm happy, and that's why I like you, and that's why you're <laughs> that's here. That's why I like you. <laughs> We're, we're kindred oh. spirits. Yeah, absolutely. And then I, I really hope we will meet soon in Budapest as at Berlin Bar. I hope so too. Yeah. So you will be always welcome here. Okay, Melanie. Thank you so Whenever much. Whenever you have the time. And Thank you. Keep doing the magic you're doing. I will do my best. I won't give up. Thank you. Thank for you coming. so much. Thank you. Thank you for watching Unleash the Game Changers. I hope you were inspired by Melanie as much as I am. Please leave your comments below. Let me know what do you think and also leave some questions for Melanie. I will always have time to ask her and I hope she will answer to you. And don't forget to share with all your friends via all your social media. It's very important for me if you help me sharing this content and make it viral. And don't forget to subscribe because I need your support. See you soon to the next episode. Bye.